I want to talk this morning about, um, uh, funnily enough, freedom. But I want to talk about it from the perspective of we are free to experience God uniquely. Yeah? Um, I wonder if, um, if you like people. <laughs> We've just prayed, haven't we, about, um, uh, and just had that moment thinking about Remembrance Sunday and um, thinking about people and uh, sacrifices that have been made. Um, I think we are sociable creatures. Um, I, I think we are designed to be together. Um, I know that sometimes solitude is a good thing and we, we, can, in, we can like that and uh, find that that energizes us. But I think as well we are, we are called to be sociable creatures, aren't we? We're made that way. God has designed it that way. Um, there seems to be something about society where gatherings of people happen. They just come together, don't they? Think about kingdoms and when you get something that happens with the royal family, people flock don't they? They want to get together. They want to be in on the party. They want to be in on the action. They want to be in on some sort of sense of, of uh, being part of something that's bigger. And, and we have football clubs, don't we, that draw massive, massive crowds of people coming into stadiums and getting together. Um, and uh, uh, let me make it more up to date. We have people on, on the internet who are blogging and tweeting and they, they're counting how many people are, are following them, how many people are their friends whatever that means. How many people are, 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 are watching them, listening to them, reading their stuff? And um, uh, the thing is, um, I believe that Jesus didn't just come for a crowd of people. See, if we're not careful, church can become like the crowd, can't it? It can become just a crowd of people that come and gather together. But I don't believe that Jesus came just for the crowd. I think Jesus came for individuals. There were 5,000 people that Jesus fed one day. That was a crowd. But there were 5,000 individuals plus, actually, who experienced, they tasted fish finger sandwiches. <laughs> they they in, individually, like we, we just read it as the big miracle that happened, the, you know, the, the 5,000 people. But actually, individuals experienced it. You had to taste it, you know, Person number three thousand and ninety-seven ate, didn't they? They they personally ate, and um, the, similarly, the disciples' their experience of Jesus was different. So you had Peter, who walked on water. He's the only guy that got to do that with Jesus. The others didn't get their, their experience wasn't to walk on water, was it? And then I was just thinking this through about some of the others. I was thinking about Simon of Cyrene. Do you remember him? the guy that gets pulled out to carry the cross with Jesus, he got to experience the crucifixion from a unique perspective that none of the rest of the guys got to. His experience with Jesus was different. Yeah, There were three people that Jesus raised from the dead while he was on the earth. They got to experience, Lazarus was one of them, he got to experience what it was to be raised from the dead. His experience of Jesus was different to the others, and that's okay. And um, I think it's the same today. I think it is today. This the same today. How many times have we we've heard testimonies from people where they you get to talk to them afterwards, and they talk about the moment maybe where uh, where they became a believer, where actually they, their eyes were open to the reality of the cross, and they said, "You know what? I sat there and I felt like the preacher was just talking to me." 
I felt like the whole morning had been orchestrated towards me. Have you heard people talk about that before? I believe that's how Jesus, he loves to operate like that. He loves just to come and minister to us as individuals. And um, uh, so what I'd, I don't want us to do is, is, and I think this is a bit of a danger for, for us, if I'm, I'm honest, we can have a danger of confusing conformity around experience so there can be a conformity around our experience as opposed to a unity about what we believe yeah so we can conform to experience God in a singular way we can all assume we have to experience him in exactly the same way when actually our unity is based on who we believe Jesus is Okay, it's so important. Um, and um, I know numbers of us around the church, um, actually, let me just read this. I've put the stuff in red that I really want to read. Okay, the rest of the notes I'm not too worried about. So, the environment which Jesus created around himself appears to be one where belief and revelation of who he is increased, but there was freedom to discover and experience this reality individually and at an individual pace. Our church culture must be the same. I know numbers of us are believing more and more things about what, how God can invade our everyday lives. Yeah? Numbers of us are, are, are experiencing more of God's intervention in our everyday lives. And that's great. And I want us to keep running with that and keep stepping out in faith. I heard a story this week of um, a lady who's a nurse who was at um, a conference that Andrew and Sarah were at a few weeks ago for NHS professionals um, that Pete Carter ran down in North Kent. And uh, they were just talking about the whole thing about how the Holy Spirit can get involved within um, the medical, medical world uh, directly. And so the NHS, in, there's pockets now around the UK where the NHS are starting to work with churches and healing rooms and stuff as an alternative to, to NHS treatments. And uh, there was a, a girl who was a, um, a nurse uh, this, this, this week, um, who was uh, in hospital, young guy comes in, he notices that um, she's wearing a cross, and he says to her, oh, are you a Christian? And she, she says, yes, I am. He says, oh, have you heard of North Kent Community Church? And she said, well, actually, yeah, I was at a conference that they did. And, and he said, do you believe that stuff? Do you believe about healing? So she said, yeah. And so he said, well, you, can you pray for me then? So in the hospital, this nurse just prays for this guy, um, now, he's in for an appendicitis. <laughs> he's 20 years old. He's in for an appendicitis. And uh, she prays for him. And uh, uh, the, she feels something going on under her hand. And this, the, whatever it is, basically goes. And um, they kept him in overnight, checked him the next morning. There's nothing wrong with the guy. They have to discharge him because he doesn't need the uh, appendicitis operation. It doesn't cost the NHS the money that it would have cost. Um, see, Jesus even wants to bless the NHS. Um, so there's more and more of that stuff, isn't there, going on. But the reality is we do not all experience the same things, do we? That hasn't always been all of our experience to experience healing in that way. Now, I know that we are going to see more of it, and we are seeing more of it, and that's great, but we've got to be honest and free to say, you know what, that hasn't been my experience, okay? Because um, if we're not, if we're not free to do that, we're, we're not really creating an authentic community. We're creating something else. We're creating actually a crowd mentality that just gets swept along, and that's never what Jesus came for. 
the 5,000 people, he never wanted them just to get swept along and barrel rolled into belief. He wanted them each individually to experience the goodness of God. Um, so um, sometimes I've felt under pressure to bring the next testimony. When I'm in a, in a meeting of, of church leaders and they're talking about the amazing things that are going on in their churches and you know, we had this thing happen and that thing, I can feel a pressure to have to share. I heard someone say recently that um, the number one emotion that people feel when they look at Facebook is jealousy. They're jealous of the picture-perfect families, couples, um, kids, you know, all the, 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 the happy scenes where people are putting their best moments on Facebook. And actually it causes the people that are watching it sometimes, if they're, if they're not um, maybe free of that, I don't know, to, to say, oh, my life doesn't look like your life. You're having a better time than I am. And of course, it's not true, is it? It's a, it's a facade. You know, we all have ups and downs. We all have moments of you know, great moments, and that's good, and it's good to celebrate those. Um, but if, we, if we're not secure in who we are and in who God is, then we, even in church we can fall into that similar kind of thing. Um, uh, so um, even with... Um, I'll just talk about this one as well. Manifestations of the Spirit... There's a big phrase, manifestations of the Spirit. I wonder if the Holy Spirit ever thought that we would get into funny names for all these different things. Um, so sometimes we, we in this church, I think we're quite free in terms of Holy Spirit activity. We, we enjoy the presence of the Spirit, don't we? We love what he wants to do with us. Um, and uh, now sometimes he will provoke people to, to, he will do stuff with people that causes reactions, causes responses physical responses and so we can see people laughing in church can't we we've all heard people laugh in church before um or maybe if you're from a different church you haven't heard that i don't know um but certainly around here from time to time you'll hear people laughing in worship now that's great i love it i love laughing in worship um the thing is though not everybody is gonna laugh and there can be a danger that we slip into having kind of learnt behaviours of actually you've got to behave a certain way to be in, to be part of the club. And I, I just really felt this morning this, this thing of you guys need to know permission this morning to be entirely free not to react, not to behave, not to manifest, not to do the same stuff as the other folk who are in the room, the person sitting next to you. Um, yeah? Um, because if we don't experience that, if we don't know that there's that freedom, then we're just creating a different form of religion. You can put all the manifestation of the Spirit names on it that you like. We're still creating something which is not the heart of God. It's not Spirit-filled community. God is about authenticity. He's about stuff that's real and genuine. Okay, we've got to be honest. Um, If you want to laugh, laugh. If you don't want to laugh, don't laugh. It's absolutely fine. Okay, Um, and I know I've just picked on laughing, but I know there's numbers of other things as well. I think it's important, this is just a side note, um, let's not get confused between responses and realities, okay? Sometimes the Holy Spirit does things, so let's take laughter, okay? Laughter is a response to joy, okay? Joy is the reality, joy is a fruit of the Spirit, joy is um, 
uh, what is it, a, a third of the kingdom of heaven, <laughs> righteousness, peace, and joy. Joy is a big deal to God, okay? Part of the, the, the whole thing about fruit of the Spirit, fruit is something which a tree doesn't force out. A tree just produces fruit, doesn't it? I've said this before. Trees just, they just bear fruit. They're not actively trying to bear fruit. They're just fruit trees. That's just what they do. So joy should be something for each of us that we experience because we are part of God's kingdom, Okay? Now, you don't have to be laughing to be joyful. But if you never crack a smile, I'm going to just wonder, um, are you really experiencing joy? Or actually, are are there some things that are around that are hindering you from bearing fruit? Because that's all it's going to be. There's just going to be stuff getting in the way that stops you bearing fruit. And that's the only reason why there'd be a blockage to joy. Um, But joy is the the reality. The laughing is, is a response to it. Yeah, um, so, uh, um, yeah. Um, the, most precious, the most precious reality we can go for and to testify to and desire for each other above all emotional, physical, financial, geographical interventions of the Spirit or of angels is, this is a good sentence, is a loving relational connection with the Trinitarian God and therefore with each other. I'm going to say that again, okay, because you wouldn't have got that. Um, uh, I can't see where I can put a, a full stop in there, but um, uh, i got some commas going on, but you can't see them. Um, the most precious reality... <laughs> the most precious reality we can go for and to testify to um, above all other emotional, physical, financial, and geographical interventions of the Spirit or of angels is loving relational connection between you and God. It's the biggest deal. Um, We're going for unity in our belief that the Spirit dwells in us and He empowers us but our experience of him will be unique. Um, I, you know, I want to encourage you to be grateful about that as well. <laughs> um, sometimes I've experienced manifestations of the Lord, um, which actually make me look a bit silly. And you should be grateful that you don't all have to look like that. And sometimes I've seen some of you guys manifesting in funny ways too. And I'm glad that in that moment I'm not having to look like that. So, you know, this does cut both ways, I think. Um, okay, let's get biblical for a minute. Um, if you've got a Bible, can you turn to John 20? Um, we're going to just... I want to look at Thomas. Um, so, um, John 20, uh, verse 24. We're going to go through to 29, but we're just going to do the first couple of verses, first of all. Um, Okay, now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands and the mark of the nails and place my finger into the marks of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Okay, we're going to read the the next little bit in a minute, but... um, I just really felt excited as I just looked over this, this little account. Um, Thomas has gone down in history as being the doubter, hasn't he? Um, which is really unfair, um, because I don't think that he was at all. Um, 
So uh, uh, is I, I, I think he models for us authenticity very, very well. And that's why I've, I've picked up on this story this morning. Um, the other thing is I think he's an all or nothing guy. Um, I think he's somebody who who once his mind is made up, he, he runs for it. Um, and uh, So let me just give you some background on Thomas. Um, when you read the Gospel of John, and this is like this with all the Gospels, there is a sense that the pace quickens. I don't know if you've noticed this as you read through the Gospels, but particularly in John's Gospel, you get to chapter 10 and the pace just, just speeds up. Um, and... Uh, uh, and as I'm reading, I, for some reason, I'm quite a sort of creative person, and so I, I, I kind of hear a soundtrack. <laughs> um, I, I, I'd lo- I don't know, I'm not a classical music buff, but I did wonder whether there must be classical composers that have, have done sort of um, compositions to the Gospels or something, because there's such a beautiful flow of the pace that goes through with the, with the whole narrative um, of the Gospels. And um, perhaps if someone is a is a um, classical music buff, you can let me know. Um, uh, perhaps it'll help me. Perhaps it's what I've been hearing all along. Um, but um, so anyway, we get to chapter ten of John's Gospel, and there's a clear pickup of pace. We're in the winter preceding the. Um, Jesus going to the cross. Okay, so we're months away. So the pace just picks up. And um, Jesus' identity has been revealed. Um, and uh, he's accused of blasphemy by the Jews. There's this moment where the Jews literally have picked up rocks and they're about to stone him to death. But for Jesus, he knows that his time hasn't come yet. And so he just supernaturally manages to slip away. And, uh, and the guys had obviously left just you know, with their rocks, and they've missed him. <laughs> Somehow he's got, he's got through. And uh, anyway, so the disciples and Jesus then leave, and uh, they go to Bethany. And uh, when they get there, they hear, they get word that Lazarus is sick. Now he's back where the Jews were. So they wait where they were, were for a couple of days, and, uh, and then Jesus says, guys, let's, we're going to go back because our friend Lazarus is sick. And uh, now the disciples are quick to say, look, we, we've just got away from there because the people there are going to try and kill you. Um, why would we want to do that? Thomas is the one that says, no, let's go back. Let's go back and let's die with Jesus. Far from being the doubter, this guy, he's, he's convinced of who Jesus is. And so his response is he wants to go back and he's ready to lay his life down at that point. So there isn't this sense of doubting with him. Um, And uh, so that's what his response is to that. And um, anyway, then Pace picks up again. A few more chapters goes past. um, And uh, anxiety and fear is growing in in the camp with the disciples. Um, and there's this point where Jesus is teaching them and he's bringing you know, revelation again for them. And uh, he's talking about the kingdom of heaven and how he's going to have to go soon and all of that stuff. And Peter's asking all these questions like he does. And he's, he's, um, uh, he's really not sure. And it gets to this point where Thomas is obviously still not, not sure what's going on, but he loves Jesus. And there's this kind of desperation where he just says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How are we going to know how to get there? How are we going to know the way? We don't know where you're going. And um, now at that point, I don't think he's doubting anything. I don't think he's doubting his faith. I think he's simply scared. And I think he's looking for reassurance. 
Okay, that's, that's the scene that I think that there is there. And um, anyway, then they, they go through and there's the Last Supper and uh, Jesus washes their feet and there's these moments of intimacy with Jesus in that, that kind of place. And, um, and then they, uh, the disciples accompany him to the garden. Um, then Jesus is, is obviously captured, he's tried, he's sentenced and he's crucified. The disciples are scared and confused, aren't they? And they lock themselves away. Um, so after the resurrection, Jesus appears to Mary, which is great, obviously, and she rushes to tell the disciples, yeah? And they then get together that evening and they lock themselves in this room because they're still scared and they're still confused. And they've heard the testimony of Mary but frankly, they are still scared and confused. And um, crucially, though, Thomas isn't with them, is he? And um, Jesus, Jesus comes in, comes through the locked doors, and he gives them his peace. But Thomas isn't there. So Thomas, who loves Jesus passionately, he's somewhere else. We don't know where he was. We can't speculate. I think it's dangerous to read stuff that isn't there, but he's not there. So he is still scared and confused. Um, the truth is, for Thomas, he wasn't there in that moment. And so when the disciples then come and tell him later on that we've seen the Lord, actually, it, I'm not sure that it's a surprising thing that he says, you know what, unless I see, I'm not going to believe. Because he hadn't seen. He's now heard from Mary. She saw him. He didn't see him. The disciples have seen him, but he didn't. His experience was different, wasn't it? And um, it's interesting because there was numbers of other times where the other guys got to see stuff that he didn't. There was the moment of the transfiguration. Peter, James, and John go up to a mountain with Jesus, and Moses and Elijah turn up, and they're lit up like Christmas trees, which must just have been the most incredible experience. Talk about manifestations. That would have been a manifestation, wouldn't it? To experience that. Thomas didn't see that. Um, And uh, numbers of things like that, you know, with um, uh, other parts of it too. But what's interesting is that eight days later, he is in the room. Now, what were those eight days like for him? desperate. I wonder if you ever feel like your experience of God is not like that of the people around you. Sometimes we feel like that. I think if we're honest, we can feel like that. Other people just seem to be experiencing more, experiencing better, more of this, more of that. I just don't seem to get that. I feel like this morning, I want you to know there is permission for you to be honest, even just honest with yourself and the Lord about that. Yeah. Um, Let's just read this next bit. So eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. 
Jesus said to him, you have believed because you've seen me. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is just an incredibly tender moment. We can rush through scriptures like this, but I just want you to stop for a minute and just just see what's going on. There's something that, first of all, Jesus comes and brings peace. And I, I don't want to miss that. Do you know peace is something? Sometimes we, we can pray for people for um, to experience something of God and, and they can say, oh, nothing's happening. And you can say, well, actually, do you feel peaceful? And I say, oh, yeah, actually, I do feel peaceful. Can I just say peace isn't nothing? <laughs> um, if you have peace, um, if you, actually, if you don't have peace, you know about it, don't you? If you live with the absence of peace, then you'll know about it. So peace is a thing. Peace is something that Jesus came to give away. It's something that actually he's given us to give away. Um, and uh, so that's an important thing just to spot. But there's something about this scene which actually is quite offensive. Um, Jesus has already suffered the shame of the cross, hasn't he? already experienced that. Isaiah 53 says that he was despised and rejected by men. He's experienced that being despised, being rejected. He was made to shame. He was shamed and humiliated on the cross. Um, He was made to hang naked before a watching world. And now we have Jesus in the room with Thomas. And effectively what Thomas has done is say, Jesus, take your shirt off. And there is something that is quite offensive about that. Because actually what Jesus has done was enough. And for Thomas, it actually would have been enough to have heard and believed, to have heard the testimony and believed. But the thing that's crazy is that Jesus is so kind and so caring that he cares more about Thomas than he does about his own dignity. Spurgeon put it like this, rather than Thomas should suffer from unbelief, Christ will let him take great liberties Our Lord does not always act towards us according to his own dignity, but according to our necessity. And if we really are so weak that nothing will do but thrusting a hand into his side, he will let us do it. Nor do I wonder at this, for if for our sakes he suffered a spear to be thrust there, he may well permit a hand to follow. I think that Thomas's response when he responds to this, it's not even clear whether he did stick his hands in, is it? It's not, it doesn't say that, but the reality is he saw. And whether Jesus grabbed his hands and pulled them in like the old, you know, the, the Renaissance paintings kind of depict, I don't know. But what I do know is that Thomas's response was to cry out, my Lord, my God, because he's seen something. He's, he's seen it, and he, he now believes. He's absolutely assured. He's absolutely reassured that Jesus is, after all, who he said he was. And uh, 
it's just an authentic response. I just love it. Um, and uh, the verse that, that goes on where he says, um, blessed are those who have not yet seen, uh, who have not seen and yet believed. I don't think that's a rebuke. I don't think that's a rebuke to him. I think that's Jesus actually uh, initiating conversation with us, um, bringing us into the story. Um, so um, I've just got some quick points. I'm really sorry we're running out of time. I, I just really want to get through this. Um, I've got five quick points just on the back of this. These are vital lessons for us. So number one, um, blessed are those who have not yet seen Uh, who have not seen and yet believed. Um, I think this is an encouragement to us. I think we... um, we, uh, Shall I go on to this mic? Is that all right? Um, we, we, We have the Holy Spirit with us, don't we? In Colossians, it says that we live by faith and not by sight. And uh, the first vital lesson for us in this is that I want us to trust the presence of God in our own lives. I want us to trust the Holy Spirit to lead us into places of intimacy with God. Um, We live exclusively in an era where the manifest presence of God in the earth is the Holy Spirit. But also where the manifest presence of humanity in heavenly places is Jesus. Okay, our connection to God is different to Thomas's. Thomas experienced Jesus with him. We experience a unity in Christ. Him in us, us in him. Okay, that's the reality. That's what's going on. And this vital lesson for us is we are blessed because we get to trust without seeing. We get to trust without putting our hands in, without getting that opportunity to. Okay? Um, The Holy Spirit is with us all the time. He leads us into truth. Number two, focus on Christ's wounds. I know this sounds like a weird one. Sounds, you know, a bit strange. But the reality is I think Thomas was onto something. Even for us, I think he was onto something. Um, You see, Christ's wounds are the proof, aren't they? Those fatal wounds are the proof that Christ died and was resurrected. They're the proof. That's what happened. When we are in heaven, in glory, we will have resurrection bodies. We will have perfect bodies. There will be one wounded man in heaven forever. Jesus. Okay? And those wounds are going to serve as a thing of wonder and amazement and joy forevermore. So we don't have to gloss over them because actually they are such a beautiful thing. Um, And particularly where we can get so caught up with the experiences of are we experiencing that are we have we seen this have we seen that we've seen this miracle have we seen have we felt god's presence you know we talk so much about what we feel or the you know and i love that that's great but actually i want to give us permission that we can come back to the most important thing every time um i wanted us to break bread (laughs) i'm not sure how that's going to happen um but um, perhaps we can do it as we leave or something but i Part of this this um, 
uh, this is the whole thing of we get to encounter Christ's body, don't we? When we break bread together, when we break bread, even individually. Have you ever, have you ever broken bread on your own? Have you ever taken bread and wine on your own? Do you know, if you, if you struggle with just encountering the presence of God on your own, why not try that? Why not just sit down with him? Just contemplate the cross, contemplate this. You know, this is his body broken for you literally broken for you and he will meet you in that place he's just as faithful to you as he was to thomas there's no difference there's no difference at all he wants to come and meet with you he wants you to experience that reality um fourthly i want to say uh, be with other believers um it's interesting isn't it thomas didn't reject the other disciples when they said, oh, we've experienced this and we've, we've experienced that, and Mary said, oh, I, I was the first one, I experienced him. You know, there's something in our hearts often where we will say, oh, well, that's your experience, that's not been my experience. And we distance ourselves, we can cut ourselves off, cut ourselves back, cut ourselves away. Don't do that, don't do that. If people are experiencing things of God that you are not, spend time with them. Spend time with them. Hear, what, what, what have you done? What have you experienced? Tell me about it. Feed off it. We said before, haven't we, that, that verse from Revelation about how um, the testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. If people are telling you amazing encounters that they've had with Jesus, you can claim those for yourself because it's a prophetic thing. Yeah? Um, similarly, for us as believers, let's work hard at loving one another. If you only hang out with people who experience God in the way you do, then there is a danger that you're rejecting other people. And what we are trying to do here is not create a crowd. I'm not interested in a massive church gathering. That's never been the point. The point has been unity. The point has been community. The point has been family. And if my brother or my sister are not experiencing God in the way that I do, I want to spend more time with them, not less. Because I want to encourage them. I want to encourage them to go after their own experiences. And also, I want us to know that actually there's a unity because of what we believe, not because of what we're experiencing. So it doesn't matter a jot to me whether there is not a single um, other manifestation that ever goes on in this place. Because the truth is, we are in Christ. The truth is, the most significant thing has already happened. I talk a lot about desiring revival. I talk a lot about desiring to see the miraculous and encouraging us and pushing us out to see more and more of the supernatural. But I am totally, totally satisfied right now with what I have. And, and if that hasn't come across, um, then maybe I need to apologise for that. We need to learn to what it is to be satisfied in life now because we are seated with Christ now. We are hidden in him now. That is satisfying. It's all right to hunger and thirst in the way, you know, when, when Jesus talked about um, uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. It's okay to hunger and thirst after something when you don't have it. But we have Christ with us now. 
he is satisfying now. There's no more need to hunger and thirst in that sense because he's here for us to drink from. He's here for us to be satisfied in now. Do you understand? Is that, is that okay? Um, uh, lastly, let belief grow. Jesus then appears to the disciples again for breakfast. Thomas is there. He's cultivating belief. He, he's, he's there. He has another encounter with Jesus there. Um, he's also present when the early church gathered in Acts 1. Then we hear about Pentecost. Do you know what's interesting is Thomas cultivated belief. And um, of all, there's uh, um, historic records of what happened to the apostles after the apostolic age ended. So, or not after the apostolic age ended, I guess, but after the Bible was finished, after, after Christ ascended. And there are documents about where they went. And some of them are disputable, and there's a bit of, you know, silliness around that, and some that aren't so clear. But there are some that are really clear. And one of the, the things that most scholars are agreed on is that Thomas took the gospel to India, and geographically, he travelled further than any of the other apostles in terms of the distance that he took the gospel to. And the believers in India today, they call themselves, like we are, you know, Thomas's descendant type things. You know, they, they see the significance of Thomas's ministry. And uh, uh, this is the guy that's gone down in history as the doubter. This is a guy who could have said, you know what, I don't believe anymore. Forget it. I don't believe. I haven't seen him. But Thomas was in the room. He went to find. He, 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 he waited for Jesus for the, those eight days. He waited on him. And I'm convinced that it's the, the same thing for us, that actually we can wait on him, we can experience him, and actually we get to take this message all across the globe, all across. Any, any place that God has called you to, your own environment, your own world, your own family, we get to carry this message of the gospel where we go. Yeah, um, I'm sorry I've rushed this last bit. I, I didn't mean to. Um, I'd love us just to break bread. Um, I don't know how we're going to do that. Um, I'm, I'm really just aware of... I'm not wanting to run... Okay, that's a good idea, thanks. Um, if you want to bring your children back in... Perhaps we'll do that. That'd be good. I'm sorry, folks. Um, what I didn't want to do was just rush out of the room. And uh, I wanted to give us a chance to respond. I wanted to give us a chance to actually have a moment where we come to Jesus' wounds, where we come to the cross. And uh, so we'll do that in just a second. Um, Are you all all right? It's really quiet in here, and I know that obviously I can only hear my help, myself talking, which is kind of the point, I suppose. But um, just while we're waiting for the kids to come back in, why don't you just um, just rest? with Jesus for a moment maybe you don't know what that looks like perhaps you're 
you're um, you're not used to being uh, around Oasis, but I just want to encourage you that Jesus is here with us, and uh, He loves nothing better than to come and sit next to you. He loves nothing better than to hold your hand and to put an arm around your shoulder. going to probably get a little bit noisier when the kids come in but that's okay Thank you. Um, I think for me, I, I, I've I've been friends with Jesus for a long time, and um, and I think it's it's that is the root of where satisfaction comes from, isn't it? It's knowing what it is to be friends with God, and uh, um, and I, I'm so excited about miraculous stuff. I, I absolutely love it. I love hearing testimonies. Um, and uh, and I would love, so love, to get to live to see revival, broad scale, happen across our nation, wouldn't you? Um, the the numbers of believers. I, I heard a, I was in a meeting this week, and there was a guy who's just got back from Kenya, um, and they saw you know numbers of miraculous things happening, dead people being raised, and um, people being healed, cancers coming off you know various things like that but it was the amount of salvations that they saw was just astonishing um hundreds and hundreds of people coming to the lord in in a short space of time and and he was saying actually in relating that to the uk it would be like if your church say you had a church of 200 people he said it would be like your church being a church of 800 by the end of the month and your church being a church of 4,000 by just after Christmas. That would change how we do things, wouldn't it? It would absolutely change the way we, we function. Um, you know, who would lead small groups and who would do discipleship? You know, just anybody. <laughs> Anyone that's been a believer for, for two minutes longer than you have. <laughs> or two minutes longer than the next person. You know, it would just transform things, wouldn't it? Um, I, I long to see that. I, I'm praying for that. I love the thought of seeing that. Um, I think that's why we're doing what we're doing as a church, because we want to see that. Um, but at the same time, I think for years and years and years, I lived with a view of the gospel that life will be better when the next thing happens, when the next breakthrough happens. When the next miracle happens, when, when the church reaches this number of people, then it will be great. When the church gets a building, then life will be great. And the truth is, what I've realized is, you know what, I am satisfied now. I'm satisfied now because what Christ did on the cross was enough. 
it was enough for me. Yeah? So that's kind of what, what's been in my heart. Anyway, uh, we're going to break bread. Kids, you've come back in. Oh, I'm kind of tangled. <laughs> um.